Have you ever had a conversation with someone and I mean, you're just looking them right in the eyes. They're telling you what they want to tell you, explaining what they want to explain, uh, making the points that they want to make. And you're listening to them thinking, why are you telling me this? Have you ever had that type of conversation before? You're trying to track with them, but the whole time in the back of your mind, you're thinking, why are you telling me this? And you're working hard to understand the point for which they're sharing with you, whatever it is that they're sharing with you. But you're thinking to yourself, what is the point of what you are trying to say to me? Maybe you didn't say it out loud, but maybe you've thought it before. Maybe you've had these types of conversations before. Have you ever asked that question of God? Have you ever read a text in the scripture and you just pause for a second and you say, God, why are you telling us this stuff? What is the point, Lord, of you including in your infinite glorious wisdom? Why did you include this story in the Bible so that in the year 2021, we, your people, would stumble up on it once again at Advent season and read it again, sing about it again. What is the purpose, do you think, of God intentionally including in the Word of God the story of the Magi, of the wise men, of the three kings? What's the point of that story? It's more than just giving us lyrics so that we can sing that great song that we just sang. It's more than giving us three more characters in the play to put those cute little kids in the Magi outfits so that they can, you know, waltz across the platform at the church and bring their gold and frankincense and myrrh. It's bigger than that. So what is it? I would argue with you this morning, although I don't want to argue with you this morning, that it is incredibly significant. I want for us this morning to think in these terms, God, why did you include this story in the Bible? I think it's substantial. I think the answer this morning is that the Magi, the wise men, were in fact clearly historical figures, but they represent something more than. When I say represent, I don't mean as though this is a myth that didn't actually happen. I'm saying in addition to the historicity of the reality of these wise men, it points to something grander than and bigger than a simple journey from a group of magi who are bringing gifts to the newborn Jesus. I would suggest to you that it represents that the nations are welcome at the feet of Jesus. You see, these wise men, they were not Hebrew people. And, and Jesus, the king of the Jews who had been born king of the Jews, receives these wise men who were not Jewish. They were not Hebrew people, and they come and they bring they're offering their gold and their frankincense and their myrrh and they fall down and they worship. No, I think the reason that Jesus includes this scripture in the word of God is to teach us that all nations 
fit into the gospel story and fit into the birth narrative of the Lord Jesus Christ and fit into the kingdom of God and are included by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in order for that to be true, what I want to do this morning is try to convince you. I don't think I have to. Most people here, if I were to take a poll or ask the question, we would all put our hands up. Does God love all people? Oh, yes, pastor, God loves all people. Does God love all nations? Absolutely, God loves all nations. But what I want to do this morning is to reveal for you the thread of God's passion for the nations, starting in Genesis, going all the way to Revelation. So before we start filling out our note sheet this morning, I want to share with you two scriptures that really help us to see that not only were the wise men historical figures, but they represent the nations coming to Jesus if you're making notes, would you write down Genesis chapter 12? This is the story of God kickstarting his people, so to speak, establishing his people. Uh, this is the story where God says to Abram, listen, Abram, I'm about to do something incredible with you. I am going to take you and I am going to turn you into an entire nation of people. You are going to be my chosen people. This is the scripture. This is the place in the Bible where, where God establishes the Hebrew people, where, where he establishes that he will have a people unto himself. And what he says to Abram as he's establishing his people, as he is kickstarting the Hebrew nation, is incredible. Listen to what God says. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and go from your kindred and go from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and those who curse you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, oftentimes when we look at the Old Testament, when we read the Old Testament, and maybe even this morning, some who are here, or some of you who are online, you may be struggling with the perspective that I'm about to share because some of us carry this perspective that in the Old Testament, God loved the Jewish people and hated everybody else. Like the Hebrew people got the blessings, the love, the compassion, the gifts, the joy, everything, like they received everything from God and God completely neglected, forgot about and shut out the entire Gentile people. And if that's your perspective of who God is in the Old Testament, I have some good news for you. This morning, you get the opportunity to change your mind because that is not the God that we find in the Old Testament. When God establishes the Hebrew people, he says to Abram, who becomes Abraham, he says, Abraham, let me tell you something. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. You're going to be my people. And the purpose for your existence as my people is so that I can flood the world with my blessings. 
That is the purpose of God establishing his people in the Old Testament. It's never been about God picking to love a group of people and hating everybody else. It has always been about blessing the nations of the earth. Now, yes, in the Old Testament, we see more about the Hebrew people in the word of God because we are seeing the strategy of God unfold. But never was it ever God's intention to say, I'm going to select a group of people, pour all of my blessings into them and forget about the rest of my creation. No, the last verse that we read this morning in verse three, it says, listen, if people bless you, they'll be blessed. And if they curse you, they'll be cursed. And in you, I will bless you and you will bless the world. The whole purpose of establishing the Hebrew people in the Old Testament was for them to become a conduit of the goodness of God. God has always cared about the nations. And when we read in the Old Testament, the blessings and the gifts and the abundance that God pours out into the Hebrew people. The purpose for that was so they could take the blessings and pump them into the world. God cares about the nations. And that was their original job description in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. I will bless you and you will bless the nations. Now, that's in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. And I understand that in a room like this, where you're at in your faith and your Bible knowledge is all over the map. Like some of us have been reading the scripture for a long time. Some of us haven't read it at all. Here's what I want you to understand. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Like this is the thread that starts in the first book of the Bible. God's passion for the nations. And then we go all the way to Revelation which is the last book in the Bible. And I want to share this with you this morning. This, if you're making notes, is Revelation 7, verses 9 through 12. And this is a vision that the Apostle John has. He's writing it. He is stuck in exile on an island. And God gives him this magnificent vision. And that's what we... That's what God gave to him that we know as the revelation in the Old Testament. I'm sorry, in the New Testament, it's the last book of the Bible. And he says, after this, I looked. This is from Revelations chapter seven, verses nine through 12. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all of the tribes and peoples and languages they were standing before the throne and before the Lamb of God. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they were crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all of the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. In Genesis, we see the heart of God to establish a people that he will pour his blessings through into all the world, to all the nations. In Revelation, we see a vision of what the end will look like, and it is literally people from every tribe, nation, tongue, and language worshiping in the throne room of God. From Revelation to Genesis, 
And from Genesis to Revelation, we see that God cares about the nations. Now, because we have that thread, I think it's safe for us to think in terms of, God, why did you tell us this? Why did you tell us about the wise men? To understand it's to once again make the point that the wise men who were not Jewish people, they were not Hebrew people. They were from the east. They were from outside of the realm of the Hebrew people. But they represent that all nations search and hunger for the Lord Jesus Christ. Specifically, three things this morning. If you're making notes, if you have your note sheet, you see that we're going to say three things about the nations. And the first is this. The nations were led to Jesus. Now, we know that because we just sang about that. We know that because we already read this scripture during our ministry moment when the Advent candle was being lit. We know that there was a star that rose and, and the wise men followed it and, it, and it came to rest. And then and the wise men had this conversation with Herod. And then it says, after that conversation was over, the star led them to the place where Jesus was. The nations are led to Jesus. But the question is, who was leading these wise men? Was it God or was it creation? Now, this is a question I'm still wrestling with. I think it's a good question. It, it, the text clearly says that there was a star that led them. And the text omits any language that says God sent the star to lead them. So it's very intriguing, isn't it? And it really makes us think about the role of creation in the birth story. And then it causes us to think about the role of creation in the story of Jesus's death and what we discover, whether we're talking about the birth of Jesus or the death of Jesus or the resurrection of Jesus, all of creation responded at these events. You have a star flying through the sky, guiding wise men to come and find Jesus. Is it creation that's leading them? Yes. Is it God? Yes. It's both. And it's glorious and beautiful. And just think about the reality that at the birth of Christ, Creation under the guidance of Almighty God were leading people who were not Hebrew people to come and to meet Jesus and to behold the King of the Jews and the Lamb of God. They were led. The nations were led to Jesus. But... The nations also searched for Jesus. Because the wise men had to invest their own time and energy and resources and sacrifice all of these things to get to the place where they were able to be in the presence of Jesus. Were they led? Yes. But it wasn't one of these Star Trek things where they just got beamed up and all of a sudden they were there in the presence of the Lord Jesus. That's Star Trek, right? Did I get that one right? 
our Star Wars, whatever it is. I don't mean to offend anybody that's a lover of either one of those. I know that's a big thing. Don't check out on me over that. But they had to they had to make the journey, right? I mean, these wise men, these magi, they had the blessing of being led by creation itself to the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they still had to take the journey. And they still had to endure the distractions and they still had to tell each other, let's keep going. Let's don't lose sight of what it is that we're trying to do. We're trying to come and worship the king of the Jews. Let's keep going. The reason that I bring this up is because sometimes we get mixed up and we forget that it's both. And maybe in your own practical life, you get mixed up. Let me tell you something. It's in 2021. That is still the way that we experience the Lord. Does the Lord guide us? Yes. Does the Lord, through the, through the movement of the Holy Spirit, prompt us to seek Him? Yes. Does the Lord show us the way? Yes. But it is our journey that we have to search out. And a lot of us are at different places in our lives with this journey. And some of you are like in the beginning points of the journey where you're just leaving the house to go find the presence of God. And some of you have been in the presence of Jesus and you have bowed and worshiped and given your gifts. And we're all at different places. But it is true no matter where we are in the journey that we are led to Christ and we have to search for ourselves as well. Those two things are not contradictory. They don't fight against one another. They complement one another just as we see it to be true in the life of the wise men. The third thing that we will say about the nations is that when they got there, they worshipped. In fact, let's look at that and see what happens when they finally get to Jesus in Matthew chapter 2. In verse 10, it says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and they worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and gifts of frankincense and gifts of myrrh. Do you see what they did? They just worshipped. The way that strikes me as we come out of the text and into everyday life is it puts in my heart and in my mind a question. Why do I seek the presence of Jesus? Is it to worship? Is it to bring my most valuable things and just give it to God and say, God, you're so amazing. You're so magnificent. You're so awesome. You're so powerful. Just take the very best of what I have to give here. Just have this Jesus and just fall down before him and worship him. Or are there other reasons? If you read the gospel, you see that there are lots of reasons that people sought out the presence of Jesus. Sometimes they sought the presence of Jesus to try to discredit him, to trip him up, to embarrass him. Some people literally, for the singular focus of discrediting Jesus, would seek him out. 
And then they would walk up with their fancy question and they're going to trip up Jesus. Well, Jesus, let me just ask you this theological question. And then they would ask it. Some of us, perhaps, engage in spiritual things with the motive of discrediting the faith. Maybe that's where you're at. And if that is where you're at, I think it's important to be honest about that and, and to keep being in the presence of Jesus and keep seeking to discredit because the longer that you seek to do that, the more you'll prove to yourself that the kingdom of God is real and you're welcome in it. Some people in the gospel sought the presence of Jesus to get stuff. Now, let me be clear. It is okay to go into the presence of Jesus and ask the Lord for things. Are you sick? Ask the Lord about that. Do you have a need? Ask the Lord about that. Do you have a burden? Bring it to the Lord and talk to the Lord about that. But the point that I want to make this morning is that when the nations were being led to Jesus and when the wise men were searching for Jesus, the intent, the purpose for which they were pursuing to be in the presence of Jesus was to worship him. And you may need to come into the presence of Jesus and ask the Lord for things, for physical health, for wisdom on decisions, for reconciliation with broken relationships, for wise counsel, for financial needs. You may need to ask the Lord for all of those things, but please make sure that in all of those motives, you don't lose the primary motive of coming into the presence of the Lord Jesus for the purpose of worshiping him. The nations were led and searched for Jesus for the singular purpose of worshiping him. And we know that that was their purpose because they said as much uh, in verse 2. They waltz into town and they start saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. They state that right from the beginning. When they come into town, they say, Hey, we know that the king of the Jews has been born, and we are here to worship him. And I just want to make sure this Advent season, this Christmas time, that that's your motive. That you, in the midst of all the other things that you need from the Lord, that worshiping Jesus is a primary motive in your life for being in His presence, for searching Him out, for allowing people to lead you to the Lord. So the nations, number one, were led to Jesus. Number two, searched for Jesus. And number three, worshipped Jesus. Now, what does that teach us about modern day? About 2021. What do we learn from this? In other words, remember, we know that the Lord included it on purpose. And we're going to have the courage this morning to say to God, God, why are you telling me this? 
And I want to give you some reasons that I think God is telling us this. Not just this Advent season, but every Advent season. We study this text. It's 2021. I'm sure in 22 we'll look at it. And then again in 23, we will reflect upon it again on into 2050. Why, God, did you tell us this? Well, because the gospel of Christ is not confined to any one people group or any one nation. And we know that we struggle with that perspective because some of us who have been studying the Bible for a long time, we look in the Old Testament and we think that the kingdom of God was confined to the Jewish people in the Old Testament, the Hebrew people in the Old Testament. We, we look at God's dealings with the Hebrew people and we say, see, the kingdom of God was confined to one specific group of people. Not so. There are plenty of people in the Old Testament who were not Hebrews who were moved by God and had a meaningful and rich relationship with God. We know Genesis 12 teaches us that God's heart was for the nations in the Old Testament. And one of the things, one of the reasons that God said this to us, gave us this scripture, was to remind us that the gospel of Christ, whether it be in the Old Testament or the New Testament or this year, the gospel of Christ is not confined to any one people group or any one nation. In fact, Point two goes one step further. Not only that, in the kingdom of God, all nations are invited. We had this amazing thing last night here at the church. It was called uh, Christmas Around the World. And we got together. And first of all, the night started awesome because there was a little kids choir that sang. And I love those things. Partly because I love music, but partly you never know what's going to happen when you put a bunch of kids on the platform. <laughs> you know, like, who knows what's going to happen? And, and it's a beautiful thing for kids to sing about Jesus. So we started out with a kids' choir, and then we broke into groups, and we traveled around the building. And in a lot of different rooms, there were people from our church that's from other countries that educated us on how their home country celebrates Christmas. And it was awesome. We learned a lot of stuff. We ate a lot of great food. Amen. It was an amazing evening. And it reminded us that in the kingdom of God, all nations are invited. All nations are included. We had all kinds of nations represented last night. and There were a lot more that weren't. But all of them, wherever you would put your finger on the map, the people in that country are invited into the kingdom of God. Now, that's significant, the word invited. When I was a kid, I was standing with my friend in the hallway at school. And another one of my friends came up I'm like, hey, and they were talking to my other friend. Like, well, I'm standing here with my friend and somebody comes up and they're talking to my other friend. They're like, hey, what are you doing on Saturday? Because I'm having a birthday party, I would love for you to come. 
And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't have anything. I can come over. I, maybe I can ride my bike or would they start making plans? And I'm just standing here awkwardly listening to them. Both of my friends make plans about them coming to the birthday party. And I'm just thinking to myself, I mean, I'm free on Saturday. We're friends, right? And then it's in just such this humiliating, degrading way. My friend turned to me. And he's like, oh, hey, Zach, you can come too if you want. Yeah, it just hit me wrong. Like, well, what do you mean if I want? Like, you're just asking me because I'm standing here? And the, the feeling that I got was that I would be permitted at his party, but not really invited. And that's a really awkward and weird feeling. I want you to know something. It's not just that you are permitted in the kingdom of God. You're invited. It isn't that as God is dealing out his blessings on the world, he looks at you and says, oh, I wasn't really planning on you, but... Since you see all of this happening, if you want to come, you can come. It's not the heart of God for you. You have a special invitation in the person of Jesus Christ. You, as much as me, as much as anybody who has ever lived, you're invited. The nations are not only permitted in the kingdom of God, but they're invited. If the wise men had not been invited to discover Jesus, the star would have never risen to lead them to Jesus. And you're here today because the Lord is leading you towards Jesus as well. In the kingdom of God, all nations aren't simply permitted, they are invited. Which leads me to this last point that is really personal for you, not just for me, but for you. This is kind of where we go from the Bible to our own living rooms, our own lives, our own hearts, our own minds. I get where it just kind of sits in our lap and we've got to figure out what are we going to do with this? Here's this last point that I want you to write down this morning. No matter my background or my heritage, Jesus is someone who's for me. No matter what my background is, I don't care what faith or religion you grew up with, or if you grew up without one at all. I should restate that. I do care what you grew up with. It's not as though it's not important to me, but the point that I'm making is, whatever it is, maybe you grew up in Islam. Maybe you grew up in Hinduism. Maybe you grew up in atheism. Maybe you grew up in, in humanism. Whatever background you grew up in, you're welcome in the presence of Jesus. 
whatever it is that you're living through and in and with today, Jesus is for you. There's no background and no past actions that disqualify you from being led, searching out, and worshiping Jesus. So the lesson that the wise men teach us is that we too can seek and search and worship Jesus. Even if we don't have the Hebrew, the Jewish background, we too, because we're a part of humanity, can come into the presence of the Lord Jesus and worship. So this morning I'm asking you not just to understand that all nations are invited in the kingdom of God, but to celebrate that and to rejoice in that because that means you also and the people that you love and your friends, we all have the invitation. And this morning I also ask you not just to observe the journey of the wise men or the magi, but to participate in your own journey. I mean, you saw that the wise men were led and so they searched. They talked with people about their journey. And in real life, they sought to be in the presence of Jesus. And when they were, they worshiped. But what a tragedy if only you learn that today and you don't participate in it a little bit. And so I ask you to make sure that you don't just learn about the wise men's journey, but that you participate in your own journey where you're seeking Jesus, where you're worshiping him. One of the reasons that I love being a part of the fellowship is because there's such a rich diversity, not just ethnically, but spiritually. Some of us have been on our journey for a long time and we've been in the presence of Jesus a lot. And we've fallen on our face a lot and worshiped a lot and given a lot of gifts to the Lord. And some of us are still trying to get there for the first time. And I acknowledge that in a room like this, we're all over the map spiritually. But can you just latch on to this story and hear me when I tell you that it is the most eternally significant thing that you could ever do in your whole entire life, period, to make sure that like the wise man, you get in the presence of Jesus and come before him and give him everything that you've got. That is important. In just a moment, we're going to switch our focus from the birth of Jesus to celebrating and receiving communion, which is a proclamation of the death of Jesus. Before we make that switch, before we make that turn in our focus, I want for us to just spend some time praying together. Would you bow with me? What I really want this morning is for you to receive 
and reflect and respond to the example of the wise men. And if that means this morning for the first time you saying to the Lord, Lord, I need you to save me. I need to have my own experience with you, Lord Jesus. This is your moment. Right where you're sitting. Call out to the Lord. Lord, I need you. I want to worship you, Lord. I need you to cleanse me. I need you to forgive me. I need you to give me hope. I need you to put my pieces back together. I need to yield my life to you. They were the wise men because when they came into Jesus' presence, they bowed. They worshiped. They brought gifts. Would you do that this morning? If you are a follower of Christ, and this is a reminder of sorts for you this morning, I want to remind you that it was a journey. There were a lot of distractions that they had to fight through. There were a lot of reasons to give up that they had to push through. The wise men kept going until they were in the presence of Jesus. Maybe you're exhausted. Don't give up. I'm going to give you a few moments just to spend some time in prayer. And then we'll close our prayer time. And then we'll give our attention to communion. Lord, we rejoice that all nations belong to you and that you love and care for all nations. And in this great and global sense, we are awestruck at the way that the wise men represent the nations being hungry for you. It causes us to pray for missions and support missions in a more deeper way. But then the way that the wise men represent our own lives and our personal need to come into your presence and bow. We celebrate both, Lord. We thank you for telling us this story about these men. We never have to ask you again, Lord. Why are you telling us this? It's clear. And now, Lord, as we consider communion and move our attention from the manger to the cross, we trust and believe that you are honored for you see not only our actions, but our heart. 
We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.